see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, would you give us wisdom that we lack tonight? Would you cut us quickly to see our sins and our corruption and the spiritual poisons in our souls that are likely to lead us away from Jesus? God, would you help us to see our constant and eternal dependency on Jesus for everything? God, we need you to teach us tonight by your Spirit, not just inform us, but to teach us in such a way that we are transformed so that we become more like your son. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, I've been tasked with the responsibility of talking to you about the doctrine of regeneration. Um, now, when some of you hear regeneration, you already know what we're talking about. You're dialed in. You're like, good, regeneration. I like it. Or you're like, good, regeneration. I can tune out. But you're familiar with the doctrine either way. Some of you, you hear regeneration and you think, if you paid attention in high school, you're like, starfish. You cut off that little triangle arm, and they can regenerate another one, right? You learn that in science class. Or if you're a nerd, uh, you watch comic movies, and you know that Wolverine regenerates when he gets shot or cut or whatever it is. Um, and so regeneration, there's these different kind of ideas behind it. It, it sounds like it's a healing or it's a, a putting back together in a lot of different ways. It's an incredibly important doctrine. It's critically important for us. It's, it, it's not a throwaway. It's not an easy. It definitely isn't garnish on the plate of theology. This stuff matters, and it is a shame that it is neglected by so many. It's neglected by Calvinists like myself who think that they understand it well, and it's neglected by people who've never bothered to really study the doctrine. It's neglected by people who do not preach it or do not preach or teach in accordance with what it means. Without this doctrine, without regeneration, our gratitude is going to be weakened and our piety or our godliness is going to be corrupt and even our evangelism is going to be warped. It is this important. Two things I want you to get, maybe one thing with two parts, if we want to go all Westminster, one thing with two parts, right? It's just, we'll keep it real simple. This is what I want you to get about the doctrine of regeneration, okay? So the work 
of regeneration is what makes you, and the doctrine of regeneration is what holds you. I know that doesn't mean a lot yet. It'll mean a lot at the end. The, the, the work of God in regeneration is what makes you, and the doctrine of regeneration is what keeps you or holds you. So, what is regeneration? What do we mean by that? Uh, the doctrine of regeneration means that it is God who makes a spiritually dead person alive. It is this supernatural, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit whereby a sinner who does not believe in God is given a new heart that beats with love for God. It is, it is this supernatural work of the third person of the Trinity where our souls are made alive. We can say this in a bunch of different ways. The point is that, that regeneration is God's work in making us new. Okay? He changes our very nature. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us a new attitude. We are new in Jesus. And that work of us becoming alive is this unilateral act of God. He touches us. And in that moment, we come alive and as living beings, we start to breathe. And our breathing is faith and repentance. It's like we had hearts that were dead, that were stony. They didn't work. And when God regenerates us, the heart is now flesh, and it's living, and it's beating, and it's pumping blood. So it does what it's supposed to do, which is believe, love our Creator and our Redeemer, and repent of sin. That's how I'll explain it the best that I can. Um, there are a number of verses that I think give us a picture of, of what re regeneration is, but, but in Titus, I'm just going to, so we're going to do three passages here, okay? Unless I lied. I'm pretty sure it's three. So Titus 3, 5, we'll start in verse 4. It's a beautiful passage. You guys should have this tattooed on your heart, not your arm, okay? Tattooed on your heart. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That Holy Spirit does this regenerating, it does this renewing work. It is our transformation. And when Jesus talks about it, we already read this, right? When Jesus talks about this work of regeneration, he doesn't use the word regeneration. He comes up with a word picture to mess with a guy named Nick. He comes up with a word. He, he, he could use a word and he could explain it, but instead he says, no, man, it's, uh, it, it's, it's like being born. You, you, you have to be born again. Now, this is a good story that gets messed up a lot, especially in my denomination. Uh, and I don't want to say which one that is, but it's the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, so in John 3, in John 3, I want us to track this story just a little bit. So track it with me, because it's going to help us to appreciate this work of regeneration, which is what God does, and the doctrine of regeneration. Right? The doctrine is the articulation of the act 
that God does, right? Doctrine is the articulation. Theology is the verbalization of the truth of God, right? So it's the truth, it's the act of God, the work of regeneration that makes us new, new people. And it is the doctrine, the confessing, the understanding, and the embrace of the doctrine that will hold us. I'll explain. First, Nicodemus, and we're going to call him Nick because Nicodemus is too much, and I don't have much time. So Nick uh, comes to Jesus at night, right? There was a man uh, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, Nick is uh, a leader of the Jews. He's well-educated. He's been schooled. He knows his Old Testament Bible. Uh, he's got it down. He's a morally upright man. He is considered to be a very pure man, a respectable man. He is the guy that you all would want to be in the day, but you're not. You're here. Pastor Jared. Um, so this is, a, this is a, an elite kind of guy in his day, in his time, and he comes to Jesus, right? When? At night. Listen, preachers, stop making up reasons why Jesus came at night. You look dumb when you do that. I hear preachers do this all the time. Well, Jesus came at night. I mean, this guy came, Nick came to Jesus at night because he wanted to be stealthy. He didn't want to be discovered. So he came at night so that no one would know. Shut up. That's not... That is, there's nothing in the Bible that says anything like that. It's just ridiculous. Stop making stuff up. Stick to the text. Anyway, sorry. That was an aside just for you preachers. We don't know why he came at night. He came at night. Maybe he was coming back from a rave. I don't know. We got to make something else up. Maybe, he, maybe he's a sleepwalker. And then he woke up and they're like, we could make up anything. So stop making stuff up. Nicodemus comes in. Whatever reason, he comes to Jesus at night and he wants to connect with him. He wants to talk to him. He's compelled by some reason that we don't know. Jesus definitely does to seek Jesus out. Now, when, when Nicodemus gets there, when Nick gets there, he makes this confession about Jesus, and it's a confession that falls short. It's a terrible confession. It sounds good, but it's, it's, a, terrible, it's a terrible confession. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with him. With him, see, he sees Jesus as this teacher from God. God is with him. He sees someone sent from God, which is true, but he does not see God himself. He sees a teacher and a preacher, but he does not see the Messiah. He does not see the Lord. If he did, he would be prostrate before him on the floor. He sees Jesus, but he doesn't see him, right? I mean, he sees the miracles, he sees the works, he's heard the words, but he still doesn't get it. And that was all of us, whether we were five or 55 when we came to Jesus. Whether you remember it or not, there was a point when you saw Jesus, but you didn't see him, when you heard Jesus, but you didn't hear him. And most of the non-Christians in your life are seeing and hearing Jesus through you and your ministry or your church, but they're not seeing him. And you can explain it over, and how clear does Jesus have to be? Jesus will go super crystal clear, and then he'll go all mysterious. No one's going to understand this mess. And, uh, and it doesn't seem to make a difference. People that there is something, right? There is something that has incapacitated those who are hearing the gospel from getting it. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He comes to Jesus, seeing him but not seeing him. And he makes this terrible confession. Hey, not bad. You are a good teacher, but not the fountain of all knowledge. You see the insult, right? 
He is wisdom personified, not a wise communicator. Compare this with uh, Matthew 16 and Peter's confession of Jesus. And note not only the difference in the confession, but why the confession is made. This is uh, Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He loves to call himself Son of Man. I'm getting ready to preach through Luke, so it's all Son of Man. I'm all Son of Maned up. Why do people say, uh, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So, not bad. I mean, that's a pretty exalted, those are pretty exalted titles. Like, you've come back, you're like a resurrected, crazy prophet guy. Like, that sounds pretty cool. You could plant a big church if you had that sort of a thing going for you. But this is a, an insult to who he is. It's not, it's not the point. It's not who he is. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Big Mouth Peter is the first guy to reply. He's always, got a, he's always the first one out the gate. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now that's a good confession of Jesus. Clear, concise, precise. My beard is... So let me know if you want me to get rid of the mic. If it's annoying anybody, I'm sorry. When am I supposed to clip it? All right. That's a lot, dude. With these, I'll be better. All right. So he conf- he's got the confession. He's got it right. He's... Now it's going to distract me, man. All right, let me see this. I'm going to try something else. How about that? How about that? Yeah. I don't care if you record it or not. All right. Um, Peter gets it right. Now, Peter is not, Peter's not the brightest guy. Peter makes mistakes. He's got a big mouth. He gets things wrong. Uh, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, at one point. Then he denies Jesus altogether. Peter is a mess, but he's got the confession right. He wasn't educated like Nicodemus. He didn't have the, the background. that He's a fisherman, for crying out loud. He's a tradesman. And He's got a right confession. Why? What was the difference? Why does one believe and another not? Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You're not smart, Peter. You're not better. You're not different. You're blessed. God has shown you favor and kindness by revealing to you something that you would have never have figured out on your own. You are too spiritually dense. Your heart is too hard. Your soul is too cold. You wouldn't have gotten this and you wouldn't make this confession apart from the Father and His mercy. Keep that in mind. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, makes a confession that pales in comparison. He doesn't get it, though he should. And Jesus comes at Nicodemus kind of hard. Jesus answered it. So Nicodemus says, uh, hey, man, you're, you're pretty good, Jesus. What's up? Like, I don't know what he's looking for. He's fishing for something. And Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He ignores Nicodemus's attempt, right? He just completely, like, he sidesteps Nicodemus' pathetic little introduction of himself to Jesus. And he redirects the conversation in order to redirect Nicodemus himself. Jesus doesn't play word games just because it's entertaining. Jesus doesn't like to trip people up because it's funny. I do that. Jesus actually does it because he wants to redirect a person. 
He says, you have to understand you're coming at this the wrong way. You're thinking about this whole thing, this whole issue wrong. You're thinking about me wrong. You've got it wrong. You don't see it. You don't understand it. Even though you should, even though you have the capacities of, of reason and insight, you don't know me. It's like he's saying, Nicodemus, you can't see me. You must be born again. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And isn't that his message? That's his message over and over again. Every, every New Testament scholar, every gospel scholar will tell you that the primary message of Jesus is the kingdom of God. And then they disagree with what that means. But they all agree that it's the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus says, Jesus, you're a great teacher. You're from God. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. It's a pretty direct and somewhat confrontational thing. He says you must be born again. It's a strange thing. You gotta be born again? Now think about it. We all get it because we've heard it so often, right? It doesn't sound so weird. Though when I was converted, it was quite the talk of the small town that I lived in. And uh, I'd already graduated from high school, but the high school and everyone in town was like, hey, Joey Thorne is a born-again Christian. And even when I would hear about it, I was like, ooh. He's a born-again Christian. That's like, a, that's like the worst kind of Christian. It's not like the nominal Christian. Born again to us seems to make sense because we can associate it with our own experiences, our own church, or our own background. Nicodemus hasn't really been... This is something new to him. And so Nicodemus' response is, he's just completely lost. He's like, how, how can a person be born when he is old? I mean, he's truly lost here. We use that word loosely, right? Like, oh, that person's lost means they're going to hell if they were to die right now. They don't know Jesus. But think about what it means. They're lost. You ever been lost? It sucks, right? It's painful. It's embarrassing. It can be frightening. Get lost in the wrong place. It can mean death. Nicodemus is lost. So Jesus doesn't get any softer. He presses in even more. Look what he says in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, when Jesus says this, there's a lot of debate about born of water and born of the Spirit, and is the water the magical bag of water that breaks when a woman's pregnant? Uh, is it, they're not magical. I just like to think of it that way because I love having kids. Um, what is it, is it, so like a lot of people draw this comparison. Well, you've got to be born of water. That's where your first time you're born, and then you're born of the Spirit. It's the second time you're born. Or people associate water with baptism, right? Because that's obviously a big one. So you're baptized. You've got to be baptized, and the New Testament closely pushes together baptism and, and salvation and the new birth because they happen so close together. Um, but they're all wrong. I'll tell you what it means. It means, <laughs> it means that, and I can be wrong. I admit it. I can be wrong. Uh, but what I, what I think it means, and, and, and I only think it means this because scholars much smarter than I say it, and I tend to think their reasoning makes more sense, that uh, throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, there is this work of God that is depicted in water that washes and the Spirit. The water and the Spirit, uh, this work of God, this cleansing work of God, this renewing work of God, they are oftentimes coupled together. And so follow Jesus' argument. Nicodemus, you're coming at me, like trying to flatter me or whatever you're doing. Um, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. 
Right? You don't see me, you can't see me, you're not going to see me, you're not going to understand, you're not going to get in unless you're born again, born from above, unless you are made new. And Nicodemus says, I don't follow. And he's like, look, you, and he's like, can a man enter into his, into his woman, mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus says, look, you, you've got to be born of the water and the spirit. It's one thing. Unless you're born of water and spirit, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Be a little redundant to say you've got to be born and then be born again because you can't really be born again unless you're born. Kind of weird. So it doesn't look like he's saying that. And then he gets back to the comparison. He goes, hey, but that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's simply arguing again, you, you, must, you, you must be born again. And just, just to give you one place to consider, this will be the last passage I go to. Uh, Ezekiel 36... I always do that. Ezekiel 36. There it is. Verse 26-ish. We'll just say that. Um, oh, no. We'll back up. 25. I will sprinkle. This is a promise of the new covenant that's going to happen in the future, Right? I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That is the most beautiful biblical summary of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant that every Christian here has experienced. And we see water and spirit coupled together. So we think that's what Jesus is saying there. Even if we disagree on this, his primary point is the same, right? You must be born again. And this, born, this new birth is, is a true, deep uh, transformation of the individual, right? It's not character formation. It's not behavioral modification, it's not turning over a new leaf or, or picking up a new discipline. Anybody can do that stuff. Any of you fools can stop looking at porn without the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit to quit looking at porn. I know non-Christians that stop looking at porn. Character that is being transformed by a heart that is renewed and a soul that is being sanctified, that is something altogether different. It's something on a very different level. The externals are not bad. They're good. But if they aren't emerging out of a heart that has been changed and is being renewed daily and is constantly growing in grace, we are not experiencing nor are we glorifying the work of God. Jesus says you must be born of water and the Spirit. And then he gets into this whole thing that's uh, this idea of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit and how it's hard to control, right? He says, uh, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And the big picture here is, um, listen, you, you feel the wind, you understand it. I mean, we didn't really have meteorologists back then. So uh, Jesus could be like, we don't know. You, know. you don't know. We don't know where it's going. Uh, so we, even, we know a lot more about wind and how it works today and pressure and all that stuff. But... Uh, the point here is that you, you can feel the wind, you can see the effects of the wind, but you really don't know like, what's going on. 
We don't know what its plan is, where it's going, what it's, what it's going to do next. So it is with the Spirit. This is outside of your control. That's what he's saying. And then Jesus presses in harder again. In verse 9, Nicodemus doesn't quit, which I like. I like that he's, he's honest and not running away. So good. Just, just stand there and go, like, I still don't get it. This is when Nicodemus said, Nick's like, I don't get it. How can these things be? And then Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and that you, you, you do not know, you do not understand these things? He should have, because there's no doubt that he had memorized a lot of Ezekiel. He should have seen it coming. He should have. He should have been waiting with eager anticipation about the, the servant who would suffer and be a sin offering for the people of Israel, but he didn't. Jesus presses in hard and says, Look, Nick, you should have known. And then he says, I tell you the truth, and you don't receive it. You do not believe. It's not just that you don't believe in me. You don't believe me when I talk. Then Jesus, he's, he steps, I mean, he doesn't say he steps forward, but I feel like it, figuratively, he's stepping forward. And it's like he's asking him in these, in these last verses here, it's like, he's, it's like he's saying to Nick, what's my name? Like, who am I? Do you know where I've been? Do you know what I've done? Do you know who I am? Listen to what he says. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, earthly meaning regeneration, I know that's confusing because we think like well, regeneration is a heavenly work. Yes, but it takes place here in our experience on the earth. He says, if you don't understand these things, and how are you going to understand me talking about more heavenly things, the higher things, the end, whether that's eschatological or about the nature of Jesus himself, like he kind of gets into. How would you understand heavenly things? Then he says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Only I've been there. That's who I am. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus says, this is who I am. And you can't see it because you're not born again. What does it mean to be born again? Does it mean that you're no longer a sinner and now you can't refer to yourself as a sinner, that now you're completely you're something else and now you're just a saint or, or are you something else and entirely? Are you a hybrid? Well, Paul calls himself a sinner, at least at one time explicitly in the Bible, so we can say that we can safely say we're still sinners in some sense, though our identity now is so wrapped up in Jesus that, uh, that we are identified by him more than our sin. Regeneration simply means that people, because of their depravity, because of their fallen nature, who could not and would not believe in Christ, like Nicodemus, by the power of God, do believe in Christ, like Peter. The only way it's possible for guys like us, for for the children that we have, the only possibility of anyone ever believing is not found in their intellectual prowess. It's not found in their schooling or their education. Look at Nicodemus. It didn't help. Our only hope 
in someone being born again is as they hear the gospel preached and taught day and night that the power of God will make them alive. Regeneration is the beginning of the experience of redemption for a sinner. For in that moment, they finally begin to exercise faith and repentance. This is God's work that recreates you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Some of us love that verse so much because we know what we were before. I remember I was, I was, uh, I was picking up a girl for a date. I was a new Christian, and uh, I'm picking up a girl for the date, and the dad's like, who's your parole officer? And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. I don't have a parole officer. And he's like, have you ever been arrested? And I, it was always oh, the mom. It was the mom asking me this stuff. I was like, I was like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, she's like, oh, really? And I'm like, what do you, I don't, what do you, what do you want me to say? Um, and then her, um, her husband walked in, and now it's a whole thing. Uh, and, uh, and so, I mean, not the daughter's husband. That would be weird. The mom's husband walked in. And, and, uh, and she said, what's going on? And she goes, he's been arrested. And I said, well, listen, that was before I knew Jesus. And, um, and it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This was where I went all the time, not for self-justification, but because it honestly comforted me with the continued sense of, of resent, the guilt and regret that I had for the things that I had done. What does it say? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That is God's work in us. That's, that's death to life. God giving you what you could not give yourself. In that moment, in that instant, you became something that you were not. You become what you were supposed to be. It's the beginning of the becoming. Your becoming. The child of God that looks like the son of God. Now, um, and until your BA, means born again, until your BA, just for the record, until your BA, you can't see, you can't believe, you can't love, you can't obey. Those things are the fruits of regeneration. Those things are the byproducts of a regenerated heart. So unless you're BA like me, somebody might, it just occurred to me when I was coming up, you're like, oh, BA. I use that. Um, that's the beginning, right? That's where, how, Nicodemus can't see because he's not BA. He's not born again. He, he can't believe and he won't love and he won't obey. So this is the work of, of regeneration that God makes you alive so that you can see and believe and love and obey. It makes you. Regeneration makes you. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what it's talking about. But it also keeps you. I'll be quick here. It also keeps you so that the work of regeneration, the, the work of God, the Holy Spirit specifically through the ministry of the Word technically, uh, that work makes you, but then this doctrine of regeneration keeps you. It holds you. Because how are we sanctified? John 17, 17. Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. And it ain't the truth of the sun rising and the sun setting. It's gospel truth. It's doctrinal truth. It's theology. We are sanctified by the knowledge of God that we get from the scripture. And so in, in general, it's fine to say that all doctrine relates to our piety. And when we have proper doctrine and we actually embrace it, believe it, and are impacted by it, not just holding it intellectually so that we can prove someone else wrong, when we embrace theology like we're supposed to, we are changed and transformed. It's what God uses, the means of grace, right? The scripture understood and received. This doctrine in particular keeps us 
by keeping us grateful, humble, joyful, and vocal very quickly. The doctrine of regeneration keeps us grateful. You know what it means to be grateful? It means that you are thankfully content. That you are thankfully content with what you have been given by God. You recognize how far beyond your, the realm of possibility it was for you to have what you have now. God made you alive. Do you know the finality of death? Do you... Some of you, some of us have held one who's just died. Sometimes we hope that they'll start breathing again. Sometimes it's way too late. In general, we know when someone's gone, they're gone. There's no coming back. But by the power of God. Do you think it's any easier for someone to become spiritually alive who is dead? It's not. It takes the power, the supernatural sovereign power of God. And when you get that, when you understand that, you are grateful, thankfully content, and you are humble. Humble just means, there's been a lot of talk about humility lately, mostly by guys that get found out for being not so humble, but whatever. Um, uh, humility is basically... Right, this, uh, It's a proper understanding of who God is and who you are. That's all that it is. If you see God for who he really is, like uh, a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, it is being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. If you see God as God, and then you see yourself as sinful, finite, crummy you. Not worthless. Not a waste. Made in God's image, and therefore having value and dignity, and people around you having value and dignity. But you have the proper perspective, infinite, eternal, unchangeable God, and you, you rightly understand your place before him, and you put your knees in the dirt. You are the Lord. I am your creature and your servant. And then you look around at people beside you, and you go, hey, I'm not, I'm not better than these guys. We're, they're the same. We're the same as creatures made in God's image. We're the same as sinners. And in Jesus, we're the same as saints. Regeneration makes us humble because we know big God, small us. But here's the thing. Big God, beautiful and holy, me, unworthy, not worthless, unworthy, sinful, condemned. And yet God's love for me is so infinite. That produces humility and joy. It keeps us grateful, humble, and joyful. Joyful also has this aspect of content to it, right? Because it doesn't just mean happy, you know, like uh, Will Ferrell or whatever that guy is. It doesn't mean you're doing, it's not like that. It's, uh, it's more like, it's more like a, a, a true satisfaction with what you have in God or through God despite your circumstances that leads to worship. That's how I'm going to define it. Right, so joy, there's an element of happiness to it, yes, right? There is this, there's this pleasure. It may not mean that you're singing and high-fiving, but you can have joy that is deep because you are so satisfied with what you have been given that cannot be taken away from you in this life that leads to worship. And then fourthly, vocal, last thing. This doctrine keeps you vocal, meaning evangelistic. It's the doctrine of regeneration that actually motivates me to talk to people. 
Because I know the truth. Ain't nobody believing in Jesus on their own. They're too dumb. And ain't nobody, I'm not, I can't help them believe in Jesus because I'm too dumb. I'm not articulate enough. I'm not persuasive enough. I don't have the divine power necessary to make them alive. It's impossible. Only God can do it, but he only does it in conjunction with the proclamation of the word. So I tell everybody that I can about Jesus, and they sometimes hate it. And some of them hate me. Most of them don't. But it hits, it pushes because we know, wow, if I simply preach the gospel truth, God is the one who can set it on fire. And no one else can, no thing else, no program, no church. Only God can do it. So it should motivate us and keep us vocal. And, by the way, the biggest evangelists, like the well-known big dogs, they're usually Calvinists, by the way. Those guys, the big evangel, <laughs> I'm just saying they are, I was reading the history book. So those guys, when they, when they were out there and all like thousands and thousands of people are being converted, they weren't preaching, um, no, they weren't preaching uh, election, you know, they, 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 they weren't pre which is a great doctrine, I love it. Um, they, they, they weren't preaching, a, 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 they typically preached a couple of different things. And frequently, the new birth, frequently. The sermons of the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, Awakening by uh, respectively, say, George Whitfield and Asa Hill Nettleton, they hit the new birth all the time. Now why, in evangelism, would you want to talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus that they have to be born again? It seems counterintuitive, right? Because we don't want them to think like, well, I have to be born again, and what do I do? Oh, nothing. Yeah, there's nothing to do. You just be born again. Because that's what he's saying. Jesus like, you can't do anything about this. You just must be born. You have nothing to do in being born. You just, you just pushed out. That's all that happens when you're born, okay? And that's it. Sometimes you're cut out. So you're, you're just doing your thing. The spiritual birth is the same way. You must be born again. You're passive in that, right? It's something that God does to you. So what are you supposed to do? Whitfield, in fact, one time said, he's preaching to a crowd, and all, George Whitfield was this, um, this kind of, heavyset guy that wore a bad wig, but he was an awesome evangelist. And he was preaching, and he's crying because they're going to hell, and they don't seem to care. And they're laughing. They're like, oh, this fat guy crying. You know, like, what's all this about? And he says, you want to know why I'm weeping? Because you will not weep for yourself. And he tells them that they're too depraved to, to know Jesus, that they're like Nicodemus. Like, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're so corrupt, they're never going to get it. They're damned. And they're so sinful, they'll never come to Jesus of their own free will. So he says, I just, so just go home. I'm not recommending that. But God used it in Whitfield's case. Why would he and so many others preach this doctrine of regeneration? New birth. You must be born again. When it seems to imply, well, what are you supposed to do? If regeneration or being born again precedes faith and repentance, that's where faith and repentance comes from, a heart that's been changed. So then... Why? And there's one reason. These evangelists preach the new birth because it presses the inability of a man to save himself in a way that they probably haven't considered before. You aren't good enough, and you can't make yourself good enough. You must wholly depend upon God. It is your only hope. And yet, in the midst of these kinds of, of doctrinal yet evangelistic appeals about being born again, like Jesus, they would say, so, believe. Look to Jesus. Do you have a saving interest in Jesus? If you do, it is only by the mercy of God. Like Jesus said to Peter, it ain't that you're smart. 
It's that the Father has blessed you and revealed this to you. So now, follow me. This is what Jesus says. I think if we're going to be men that honor the Lord, men that help to build good, strong churches, men that are going to bless our wives and serve our children well and lead them, if we're going to be the kind of men that, uh, that Christ calls us to be, then we will be doctrine men. We will be Bible men. We will be men who own our sins and confess openly and publicly. We will be a men, we will be a group of men, right? Not just individuals. We will be a group of men. Whether we're together for one time or, or regularly at a local church, we will be a group of men who seek one another's increase in faith and good works. We'll actually care about those things. And we'll have fun. And we'll chill. We'll go smoke cigars later. At least I am. One um, of you guys gave me one. I'm going to smoke it. So don't blame me if the place burns down. I didn't, I didn't bring the one that I'm smoking. I brought a bunch of others, but don't worry about it. My ADD is kicking in. I, I, I have ADD. I'm supposed to be on Ritalin, but I don't take it. So <laughs> I stopped taking it like 20 years ago. Men of God are men who have been changed by God. That's, that's the bottom line. See, men of God are not men of commitment. They're not men of, like, we kind of like, get this promise keeper's mentality, like, men of God are like the guys that get it done. And, well, that's putting the cart before the horse. Men of God are men that have been changed by God. And men who have been changed by God are still sinful. They still screw up, but they're humble. They confess. And what leads them in all of this is, is the reality, the work of regeneration that has made them new, and the doctrine of regeneration that keeps them humble, keeps them joyful, right? It keeps them evangelistic. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful that you have given us a, uh, a couple of days to worship together, to talk about scripture together, to have fun, to laugh together, to enjoy your creation and all of your good gifts. God, would you help us to be men that take the serious things seriously and to praise you for every good thing in our life, whether it's um, a good joke or a coffee, just some time alone. God, we pray that you would help us to see our need for your power in every aspect of life. Lord, we certainly wouldn't have ever believed in Christ if your spirit hadn't made us alive. And we wouldn't continue with Christ if your spirit didn't sanctify us. So God, help us to persevere to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.